You're listening to the Finding Unique Value Podcast with Jay Sparks. Hello, this is Jay Sparks, your host of Finding Unique Value, where I interview business leaders that have found unique value in their business or industry that others have not yet seen or explored. I'm excited to be joined today by Michael Chase, who is a managing director at Northmark in Boston's regional office. Uh, Northmark is a commercial real estate deck and equity provider. And while at Northmark, Michael has been involved in closing transactions worth over $2 billion for a variety of different types of clients, which is really um, incredible. Uh, many of these firms tend to be very, very um, uh, specific in who they, uh, in who they serve. And the commercial lending world is very competitive and it's very commoditized. So I'm very interested in learning from Michael how he provides value and how he sees value in this very crowded marketplace. So welcome to the podcast, Michael. It's great to be speaking with someone that's uh, as accomplished as you are. Well, Jay, thank you for having me join you today. I really appreciate it. Great, great. Well, could you take a minute? Because you and I have had a you know a couple of uh, conversations, so I, I'm a little bit more aware of your background than, than most, but could you just take a minute and just, uh, you know, introduce yourself and, and, and let us know your, your background so we have a, a little better idea of kind of skills and experiences that you're bringing to your, uh, your firm? Sure, not a problem. Uh, again, I'm Michael Chase of Northmark. I'm the managing director or co-managing director of the Boston Regional Office for Northmark. And uh, Northmark is the largest privately held uh, commercial capital intermediary in the country, headquartered in Minneapolis, Minnesota, we have 36 offices all over the country, with Boston being one of them. And I've been in the business for 20 years. I started at a company that was based here in Boston called New England Realty Resources. And that company was acquired by Northmark in 2012. And I came along with that acquisition. So I've been involved in uh, commercial real estate finance for 20 years. And I think that I... Uh, bring value to my clients by helping to structure their capital requirements, debt and equity uh, that fits their business plan. I don't want to uh, use a cookie cutter approach or uh, put a, you know, a round peg into a square hole. I really try to understand my client's business plan and then structure the right capital to fit that plan. Interesting. Well, um, I'm interested that um, it's you know, two major things here. One, um, you've been doing this for 20 years for essentially the same company, right? Because they got bought over and every, they retained everyone. So you're yeah. kind of working in the same. Yeah. So that that's uh, extraordinarily rare these days, right? It was much more common many years ago. Um, what is the uh, um, what is the secret from your perspective to to being able uh, to do that? Because you know having turnover or bouncing around is 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 uh, is, is difficult. Sometimes it's needed to get different experiences, and obviously you haven't had to do that. You've stayed with one place, and you've continually moved up and gained more experience and more responsibility. So, how, how was, uh, from your standpoint, what was the secrets to being able to do that? Sure, uh, thank you for asking. So, the the first side I would say, from my perspective, it was just having a great group of people to work with. Uh, my former mentor, who was the owner. of of New England Realty Resources and then sold to Northmark. His name was Jim Murphy. Uh, and he was a former head of the Mortgage Bankers Association, a trade group that's very prevalent in the commercial capital markets. Uh, he was just a great person to work for. And the rest of the team, both at New England Realty and then subsequently with Northmark, have just been outstanding to work with and such a great cultural fit that I never felt the need 
to go see if the grass was going to be greener on the other side of the fence because the grass always seemed pretty green on my side of the fence. So that would be sure. one thing. And I think uh, people have kept me around because I hopefully provide value. <laughs> I'm always yep, willing yep. to pitch in, do more, uh, willing to answer questions for folks, uh, mm-hmm. and, and never really felt that your job title or uh, job description should limit you. I've always looked to see what else can I do, both uh, in the company and then outside the company for my clients as well. That's interesting. So you right right from day one, it sounds like you've taken the uh, set, right? You're trying to figure out how to how to you know make things work and and, and make them better and taking responsibility for uh, for your results. Um, and and you were allowed to do that also, right? In some organizations, you're not allowed to take that approach. Right. You, you need to do what you're told. And, and that's kind of it. So it sounds like this culture, well, one aspect of it anyway, is is um, giving you responsibility to make decisions. It, it was that the the, the um, was that the case right from when you started or that evolved over time? No, that that very much that, that is uh, very much the case. So uh, I guess a little bit more of my background. Uh, I got exposed to business as, as a paper boy way back when I was in oh. grade school. And you kind of run your own business in that aspect. And then uh-huh. uh, I had a, I grew up in a family business. Uh, my family had an optics shop based in Boston. And when you're mm-hmm. part of a family business, you get exposed to all different aspects of you. You know, you're growing up, but you're going in, you're helping your parents, you're putting mailing labels onto things, you're helping to package mm-hmm. things up, you're sweeping the floors, doing mm-hmm. those types of things, anything you can do to help. And then after I graduated, when I joined New England Realty Resources, it was a small independently owned mortgage banking firm. And while I was learning the capital markets, I was helping with IT, doing marketing, bookkeeping, office mm-hmm. management, uh, and all of that, you know, that willingness to go, uh, you know, outside of my job description came from, you know, how I grew up and being part of a family business where you had to do everything. And uh, Jim Murphy at New England Realty really fostered that he was willing to let you get involved and learn whatever you wanted to learn and do whatever you could do to help. And then at Northmark, while it's a national company, uh, it's very much a small business feel, especially at the regional office level. They, they allow autonomy at the regional office. Uh, while there is an overall corporate culture, each of the offices do have their own personalities and you are able to, again, they allow you the freedom to uh, go beyond your job description and help out in any way you can be involved in different committees within the organization to provide a voice for other people in the organization uh, to, to share your expertise with others in the organization. So always trying to pitch in wherever possible. Oh, that, that, that's fascinating. So it sounds like, you know, uh, from a leadership perspective, right, they wanted uh, people like you, and uh, a great uh, result of good leadership is is they create more leaders. Right? So you you sound you sound like you started with a, a great uh, kind of a great baseline based on your family business experience, but you're able to grow it within this this industry. That that's really that's really fascinating because um, um, a lot of organizations that you're not allowed to do that. You you literally have to leave if you want to take on more responsibility or make different decisions. So that, that, that's great that they allow someone like self to stay. But why didn't you stay in your family business? Because that would have been a natural step. The same reason that you stayed in this current business, right? Because you knew it. 
I'm sure you could have, uh, you know, run it well. Was that not something that you even considered or was it just not, you know, not really the, the right opportunity for you? Sure. Uh, thank you. That's a good question. So when you grow up in the family business, you kind of keep an eye on, well, am I going to be the next generation? You know, do I want to take this over? And my parents, after they received the, they took the business over from my grandfather who, uh, and so my parents were the third generation of a family business, but the, the nature of the business, it was, uh, optics, binoculars, telescopes, and some weather equipment, but it's really a luxury item. And for a small shop, it's a very market, market cyclical industry or a business. So, okay. it, you know, when, when there's a downturn in the market, uh, you don't, you know, you have to buy food, you have to buy clothing, but you don't have to buy a yeah. telescope. And yep. I think at the time, uh, it was the uh, mid nineties um, when it was, when I was graduating, you know, getting close to graduating out of college. And mm -hmm. I believe there was a downturn at that time. And, the business had taken on some debt and I realized that, you know, even before Amazon came onto the scene, <laughs> uh, yeah. there was going to be a need for scalability that we didn't have at, uh, at that time. So I think it was a, a decision for all that. It maybe, uh, the family business had done a good job in supporting our family to that point, but probably wasn't going to be the best suit, best suited going forward. So I went off into a different direction, uh, but, but went to business school and studied yep. finance and ultimately real estate finance. And that's where I found my niche since. Excellent. Excellent. Now, did the, is the family business still running or did they, they sell it and move on to something else? It ultimately did, uh, did close. Yes. Got it. Okay. Um, uh, interesting. Cause that's always a dilemma for, uh, for family, uh, family businesses, right? What to, what to do next. Um, right. So the other, the, the other thing that you mentioned too, that, that is, that is interesting that, um, um, is it, I don't know anybody, any successful person that I've studied that's done it by themselves. Right. And, and you're no uh, exception with the, the mentor, the first owner you, you mentioned, Jim, uh, Jim Murphy. How did that, how did you recognize him and how did you, um, you know, I don't want to say get him, but you know, how did, how did that, you know, the ability to be mentored by someone who's very experienced and sounds like he's a good fit for you. How did that, how did that come about? Cause everyone's looking for that, but it's very hard to find and to foster. Right. Sure. I would say some of it is luck. Uh, mm -hmm. You, you, uh, I, I interned with New England Realty Resources and Jim Murphy's company the, my senior year mm -hmm. of college. I was studying finance at BU and the majority of my classmates were going to be, were looking towards heading down to New York and joining some of the big financial firms down there. And I just thought sure. that, you know, being another stock of bond analysts, seemed like such a herd mentality. Uh, so yeah. I was lucky enough to get a part-time job with uh, New England Realty and with Jim. And yeah. that gave kind of that, that trial period. They got yeah. to like me, I got to like them, and they hired me after graduation. And after that, it was all just a matter of hard work, being willing to learn. Mm -hmm. He took me under mm -hmm. his wing and we kind of went from there. And it was like... Uh, couldn't have asked for a better mentor. And hopefully he mm -hmm. would say that he had some pretty good help, which allowed him to, you know, get a few more rounds of golf in every year. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Absolutely. But so how did that, how did that initially, um, initially start? Cause you're, you're, you're doing good work. So you're having conversations and obviously he, 
um, uh, valued you enough that he, you know, he hired you and, and, you know, gave you responsibility, but how did the kind of the extra piece happen? Did you go to him and ask him some other things or did he see kind of the, the potential in you and, and proactively kind of come to you and, and give you some, you know, some thoughts of, of his or how did that, how did that work? I think that's one of the beauties of a small business is there, you don't have this large hierarchy where you have to climb your way up to get FaceTime with the head of an organization. Sure. You're talking about a, a, an, a one office operation where everybody's door was open and Jim was sure. uh, very much a mentor open to teaching himself, mm-hmm. uh, an, an educator. And he recognized in me, hopefully someone that would add value to his business. So as I grew and learned and asked him more and more questions and he imparted upon me, some of his knowledge. It was great because as a young person, you're going out there and I'm pretty technically uh, um, aligned. You know, I'm I'm working on my spreadsheets and my financial models and Jim could get out of a car, look at a building and go, yeah, that's probably worth about $12 million. And I would turn and go, how do you know that? (laughs) I'd go back, I'd spend an hour and a half running all the income and expense statements and wouldn't yeah. you know, it would come in at eleven million nine hundred and sixty. You know, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, experience counts for a lot, right? Exactly, um, exactly. But, yeah, but you need both, right? So you know the kind of the the, you know the, uh, you can show the math, right? And you now I'm sure are starting to develop that intuition, so you can tell if the math says one thing, your intuition says something else. You need to double check things. Um, exactly which is which is very valuable so this is this is fascinating so you you really do have a lot of the uh the things that that um you know i see from very uh successful um entrepreneurs even though you're not you know the, necessarily the business owner you've been acting like it since before you were there which is which is really valuable so that's a, you know also something that that uh business owners and executives should be looking for people with that type of experience that, that you have because you, you you can't teach that mindset right you showed up uh, with that already, and, and Jim and his rest of the team kind of helped uh, help foster that. So that's great. But as you're looking for, you know, um, you know, borrowers or, or, or business partners, what types of things are, are are you looking for? Like, what are the best uh, kind of people for you uh, for you in, in Northmark to uh, to work with? Well, we're looking for clients who are looking to leverage us to. Get to structure the best capital for their deal. Those who understand that they're not in the business of day in, day out, putting together their capital structure. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of think about uh, Tim Wakefield, who's a, who, as you may know, he's a the former longtime knuckleball pitcher for the Boston Red Sox. Yeah. And he yeah. used to say, every time I take the mound, half the stadium thinks they can throw the knuckleball, and the other half <laughs> thinks they can hit it. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times when it comes to, when you say, I put together debt and equity for commercial real estate, mm-hmm. you have people go, you put, you're going to help me find a loan. Well, I've gotten a loan on my house. I, I know what a loan is. Yeah. I know how to borrow money. Yeah. Can I go and do that myself? I've got, you know, if you're, they're a successful business person, they probably have some banks who call on them and they may have some banking relationships that they've had for a while. But still, if you're not in the business, just just as I'm not in every other type of industry day in, day out, and develop that expertise, that that broader view of the capital markets, um, mm-hmm. that's what we want. We want clients who are looking to work with the right professionals 
who are going to work to understand their business plan and put together a capital structure that will best be best suited for their transaction and for their overall goals. So yes, that's a really good point because uh, unfortunately Wall Street you know, preys on people that are uninformed or misinformed, right? Um, their job isn't to inform you, their job is to, to make money. Um, and, and that uh, doesn't always result in a win-win type of scenario. And it sounds like that's what you're mm. looking for. You're looking to help. So how, what mistakes do you see uh, business owners making that maybe um, are over, overly reliant on, on some of these maybe more basic relationships where they say, hey, I need X amount of money and, and they get it at a certain rate and that's really it. And there is no context. There is no looking at options. There is no kind of discussion that, that you're describing. What, uh, how, how does that, how does that hurt the, uh, you know, the, the borrower? Sure. I think when, if you're talking about debt in particular, you're, most people start off focusing on how much do I want to borrow and at what rate? And they focus yep. on their loan amount and their, and their interest rate. And sometimes they can focus on those two basic aspects of a loan that they miss the other very important parts of a deal structure that can be a detriment for them down the line. So when I sit down with a client, I want to know what are your, what are your plans for the future? How long are you looking to, to hold this asset? Uh, are you going to be looking to develop the property further? Um, what are, is this how uh, are you envisioning handing this off to your children? Uh, what stage of you know your business uh, career are you? And you can, if you ha- if you answer some simple questions up front, you can place a client with the right capital provider because there are a, a myriad of capital providers out there between life insurance mm-hmm. companies, banks, CMBS, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, uh, the agencies for multifamily deals, pension funds, and all of them have a little bit of a niche and are a better fit for certain business plans. So, and also there are times in a market cycle where one source of capital will have an advantage over another. For example, earlier this year, uh, I would have advised clients that if they want to lock in long-term fish rate money, life companies are certainly uh, a way to go. And then as the year progressed with the way interest rates were moving, banks came on and became very, very competitive. So then I was, you know, advising clients to start looking at, at bank financing. So if you're only working with one lender or one or one type of capital, you can sometimes miss those other advantages and opportunities in the market. Uh, or you might be missing out on potential structures, a 20-year fixed rate opportunity that a life company can do that banks really aren't able to do as well or a very open prepayment flexibility that the bank can give you that might not be available from, say, a CMBS or a Wall Street transaction. Sure, sure. So that's like going to a captive you know, agent versus someone that is more of a broker and has many different, many different relationships and knows how each of them operates. Yeah, that, that's something that uh, is definitely missed. So how would um, – now, are you, are you working primarily with um, – with business owners or institutions, or, or is there a mix? I mean, how, did, how does that, like, from your from who you're actually talking to directly, how is is uh, what does that look like? Sure, great question. Uh, it is a certainly a mix. My mm-hmm. client base ranges from uh, from REITs and institutional funds who are looking yeah. at uh, uh, real estate uh, strategies down to 
people who are just starting out. Uh, the person who bought their first three family, was living in the one unit, um, has gotten a taste for being a real estate investor and now wants to look to grow. Um, I want to, I want to help them just as much as I want to help the, the large fund because someday that person who starts out with two units could become the next, <laughs> uh, sure. national multifamily owner. So, yep. uh, I want to help give them advice. Now I might not be the best fit for them today, but I can point them in the right direction. I can give them some, uh, some free advice for now. And hopefully they will come back to me later on. It's it's really a matter of taking a big picture approach, which I like to think that I do throughout. Um, that's really my business philosophy is taking a big picture approach to things. Mm-hmm. No, it's obviously it's serving you very well. Um, so, how does just switching topics a little bit? Uh, how does um, like the length someone may be holding uh, the property affect what you what type of structure? You would uh, you would use sure the the most uh, the simple one is just the term of the loan mm-hmm. you could do a shorter term loan you could do a longer term deal um, for example if I'm working with a family group who knows I'm buying this asset we're planning on mm-hmm. putting it away and holding it forever and we want to manage mm-hmm. our interest rate risk we think that today is a um, a pretty attractive rate environment so we just want to fix it in but we know we're not going to be looking to sell it. We're not going to do anything with it. Then we can place them on a 20 or even 30 year fixed rate loan. uh, And that, that will fit them at the same point though. I will want to advise them that even though I'm going to put you into a 20 or 30 year fixed rate deal, there are going to be periods in the future where someone might want to be able to tap that equity that's built up in a, in a building that appreciates. There could be times when there are tax advantages to doing a refinance because there's a crossover point on any amortizing loan. There becomes a point where you're paying down more principal than interest and you lose some of the tax benefit of the interest write-off. Mm-hmm. So at, that's a decision point. And at that point you want to maintain flexibility because the law in general, when you do a longer term fixed rate deal, the lender is counting on that interest return. They're offering you that long term. They're not doing it out of, uh, the kindness of their heart, they're they're yeah. doing it because they're trying to match up a liability on their balance sheet. Yeah. And oftentimes it comes with stricter prepayment penalties. So how can we structure a loan so that the flexibility is still maintained um, while still offering a client what they need? Now, if someone is a short-term owner, maybe they don't even need a fixed rate deal. In this current uh, environment, where we're seeing the Fed make rate cuts, maybe a floating rate deal is a best fit for someone whose business plan isn't for more than a year or two. Um, so why put them into a five or 10 year fixed rate uh, financing structure when there might be something that's a better option for them? Sure, sure. And that's where taking the bigger picture and getting the context helps, right? Because if you didn't know that, you wouldn't necessarily talk about larger prepayment penalties on that larger loan. But if you're just trying to sell the loan, you're just going to sell it. And, and if they say yes, you know, kind of the conversation's over. So um, it takes a little bit longer on your end. But, uh, uh, you know, people eventually do find out these things, particularly with the money that you're, you're working with. So um, I can see why your, why your clients are, are so loyal. Now, do you, do you, have, do you have any, um, do you have any uh, I guess, opinions on, on directions of, of, of interest rates? Or do, do any of your clients that enter into this, this conversation at all? 
Absolutely. There's, that's always at the forefront of a lot of conversations because it will determine when they're looking to act, if they want to act earlier or later. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, I often tell my clients, if I knew exactly where interest rates were going, then I wouldn't have to talk to them. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I meant like, like in but, the sense, like if you, if, you, if you think rates are going to stay low, right. then you know, the adjustable rate isn't necessarily a crazy idea. For someone exactly. that has a, you know a longer term horizon, because you can always you know refinance into a into a fixed rate. But I, I don't know if you if you advise doing that, if that's a smart uh, strategy, or if it really is like you were saying earlier, a, you know, case by case basis. <clears throat> well, that that's correct. So we do try to get, uh, have a feel for the direction of interest rates, at least in the short term, in terms of maybe six to twelve months. So in, mm-hmm. in the current environment. While rates can always go, I mean, as we've seen over the, just over the past yeah. five days, the 10-year Treasury has gone up 20 basis points. That's a, certainly a short-term movement, but overall, it's still a rate that's below 2%. So mm-hmm. when I'm advising a client who might be looking to exit a deal in the next, uh, a, you know, a value-add or reposition deal over the next 18 months, we try to, you know, take that into consideration what is the likelihood that this rate is going to bounce up over 3% or over 5%? Um, and, you know, how do we manage that risk? So, yes, we can fix in a deal. We can fix in a rate if it, if, if it makes sense, uh, if this is an opportunity to do so. Um, we can also talk about floating rate deals with maybe some hedging. You know, maybe there's a cap or a collar that can be used to give you the benefit of a floating rate deal allow you some of the benefit of rates continue to drop, but also protect you if rates rise. So uh, there are a lot of different strategies that can be implemented. And uh, if you're asking me about what is the near-term view, uh, I think in general the near-term view is that rates are probably going to be within a a fairly low uh, band, you know, probably not shooting the 10-year Treasury, not going too far, you know, above three for the near term because – People are just very much concerned about uh, the economic outlook over the next 12 to 18 months. So they're still kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. And there's a lot of also global capital flows. You have a, you know, $18 trillion of negative, negative interest rates out there. Um, yeah. So that money's got to go somewhere. And while a 1.9% 10-year treasury seems like a pretty sh- uh, short yield to Americans, that looks like a great yield if you're looking at a, a negative 10-year interest rate in Germany. Sure. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I never. So uh, I no, mean, no. our own domestic bond rates almost have a, a cap to them just by the global you know, global flow of funds. So trying to understand you know the, those aspects of the market and how they might influence our rates. Um, mm-hmm. That's what we try. How we try to advise our clients. No, oh, yeah, that that makes sense. So. So for 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 business owners or like the real estate investor that you um, that you that you uh, example you used earlier, what, what mistakes do you see them making? Because I see them needing your knowledge more than kind of your institutional, for lack of a better word, clients. Because they they want you know your access and you know kind of your your idea to kind of uh, look at different uh, particular structures and sources. But but I gotta think like that person that owns a three family, they really need your counsel because um, they they probably have some relatively limited options, but um, if they pick the wrong one, it's going to hurt them a lot more. So what mistakes do you see people making that, you know, for instance, are taking a loan that's, you know, less than $5 million? 
one of the common mistakes might be how much leverage they they think they may need. Uh, mm-hmm. If you over leverage your property, I mean, leverage can be a very good thing. It can help uh, help growth happen quicker, just because you have a, a greater availability of capital, so you can either invest in different things or you can buy more property uh, than you might be able to mm-hmm. do if you just use your own cash. It can certainly help to improve your returns, and there are tax benefits to it. However, if used uh, unwisely or structured inappropriately, then you know if you over leverage, then you create a risk. If there is a downturn, you you know you have a three-unit multifamily. Uh, that's mm-hmm. not the same as a 50-unit or 100 units. So if one of those goes dark for an extended period of time, if you're over leveraged, that could impact you. You might you know you might lose that property. Uh, if you're not looking to be in that property forever, you're looking to kind of build up a small portfolio and then looking to sell, you might have structured your portfolio uh, or your loan in such a way that you don't have the prepayment flexibility to get out when you want to get out. Uh, you might be giving away guarantees, personal guarantees in a deal, mm-hmm. you know, and that's some of the trade-off in terms of leverage and personal recourse that we sit down and we talk to borrowers about how much do you want to be on the hook and would, you know, do you really need those extra dollars to put yourself personally liable or would you rather maybe borrow a little less, but then relieve yourself from that risk of being personally liable? I know um, signing off, uh, you know, uh, or, or um, giving personal guarantees is something that most people don't, don't want to do for, for obvious reasons. What types of, um, is it just the type of loan you're saying is is uh, can can help with that, or is it more how the how the structure is uh, is set up that can limit that? It's generally how the structure is is set up. If you're telling me if a client comes in and says I want non-recourse financing, then mm-hmm. I can give them a, a the per, the general parameters of what it would take to get non-recourse financing. I had a client come into me the other day. And say, you know, myself and a couple of buddies were putting together a partnership group. We want to go invest in some multifamily properties. We just saw an OM from a broker, uh, an investment offering memorandum, for those who might not be familiar, uh, on a property down in uh, in Louisville. Uh, we'd like to borrow 75% with a couple of years IO. And the question, my first question was, okay, are you looking to avoid personal guarantees or are you willing to provide some personal guarantees? And they mm-hmm. said, well, we would prefer non-recourse financing. So then, of course, that led to a certain direction. That means you're probably not going to be able to borrow from a life company and you may not be able to borrow from a bank without some limited guarantees, but you could be, may potentially be a fit for an agency execution. And I talked to them a little bit more about Fannie, Manie, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac mm-hmm. financing. But also gave them the warning that as new investors, they're going to need to come up with come up with ways to meet their sponsorship and experience requirements for those types of lenders. So, the conversation kind of leads you to different capital sources and different loan structures. So, are you seeing more now? Are you seeing um, you know more real estate um, buyers like what, what you just described, or is or or do you actually also see uh, you know business owners that have your property attached to their business and, and aren't real estate people. So they need someone like you to help them navigate the uh, kind of the, uh, the industry. 
Sure. I think we see it in a different direction, in several different directions. Certainly, there are a lot of uh, young investors who are looking to get into real estate, and typically the the initial entry point is multifamily. Um, yep. They again, they start off with that smaller property. They're they're living in the one unit, renting out a couple of others. They get a taste for it, and then they move up and get into more multifamily. And then at some point, they realize they don't want to be answering a phone call at 4 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> to yeah. fix the yeah. the busted pipe, so then they might move into a different type of asset class and away from multifamily into retail or office or something else. Uh, in terms yeah. of business owners, we see it go in both directions. We see certainly some business owners make the decision of, well, I need capital for my business, and I'm not really a real mm-hmm. estate owner, so then maybe I'm going to sell the real estate and do a sale leaseback, and that will help me, you yeah. know, provide some more capital for my business. And then there are others who um, feel that the real estate is a good asset. They don't want to be beholden to a landlord, so they like to Mm -hmm. own their facilities. And then over time, we often see the transition uh, of a business, a family business that was operating in one asset, but they owned all their real estate. And then maybe at some point in the future, they sell the business and then become real estate owners. Interesting. Yeah, I see people going going both ways, like you're, like you're saying, you know, leaving kind of the, the real estate and or, or, or going into it depending on what stage of life they're in and what their experience has been, and you can you can help them on on you know the whole way, which is uh, which is great. And um, some of that is also going to be impacted by regulatory changes that may happen, tax advantages, you know, whether or not you know a certain write-off or loophole. Uh, is going to allow them, you know, is going to make it more or less beneficial to own or lease. We have an accounting change coming up that is going to be impacting the real estate industry in terms of leases um, mm-hmm. that are now going to have to be recorded on a balance sheet as a as a long term liability, and it may change the way leases are structured. Instead of being gross leases, there may be an affinity for triple net leases. It may shorten the duration of leases because they don't want to have you know, uh, a long-term, long-term liability on their book, they might want to shorten that up. So mm-hmm. that's something that is, is, uh, is an accounting rule principle that's working its way through that's going to be implemented shortly that will be interesting to keep an eye out for. But something like that could be the, the, the difference between a, a business owner deciding, do I want to lease or do I want to own? Sure, sure. Those are all... All things that, unless you're sitting in your seat, you wouldn't necessarily uh, be thinking of or even even aware of, right? So it's uh, it's really important to have you uh, um, have someone like yourself uh, in, in Northmark uh, involved in these decisions. Um, wow, this has really been been fascinating, Michael. I, I didn't uh, I didn't know all the different facets that you were you were involved in, and I think the most uh, incredible thing is is just how you. Uh, uh, how you got to where you are, right? Because you, you found a, a company that had the culture that fit you, right? Because that, that, that's important because there are a lot of people that are working in similar companies are really unhappy because they didn't, they didn't do that, right? So you're, you're, you're less productive. And you found a, you know, a great mentor. And I know you were, I think you were being very humble and saying it was luck. I think that uh, you, know, you made your luck, right? You, 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 were, you were looking for that and, and he was there and you took advantage of it, which is great. Because again, I don't know anyone that, that, can get by without that. That that saved you a lot of uh, trying to figure it out yourself time. And then um, you've Absolutely. always uh, been an entrepreneur, right? I mean, you had that, you know, as soon as you got in there, you kept, you kept learning. So that's why even now, 
um, I think you probably have a, a depth of knowledge that most of your peers don't have. Not, you know, because you've, you've been, you know, trying to learn all this, this, this whole time. And most people have, uh, say, have 20 years experience like you, they have, you know, one year repeated 20 times, right? Because <laughs> they <laughs> learn enough to get to close the deal. They don't learn anything else, right? Um, mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad to see that you're, uh, you're, you're doing well and, and your firm is also doing well. Um, well I know you. that there are people in my network, they're going to hear this and are, are going to want to, uh, are going to want to speak to you. Uh, what what is the best way for for someone to uh, to reach out to you, Michael, and to and to contact you? Oh, great! Um, certainly, they can reach me on my direct dial here in my office. It is area code six one seven seven two eight nine five three four. And even when I'm outside my office, I have it forward directly to my cell, so I'm always available for my clients. They can also mm -hmm. email me. Uh, my email address is m chase at Northmark with a Q. So it's N-O-R-T-H-M-A-R-Q.com. And uh, they're also free to look me up on LinkedIn um, and mm -hmm. connect with me there. And I believe my LinkedIn is MJ Chase. Okay. Great, great. Well, it's been a fascinating conversation, Michael. I'm looking forward to uh, to more. And um, I know people will be interested in, in, finding, uh, in finding you uh, as they come into these situations that you mentioned. And for everyone else, thank you for listening to Finding Unique Value. We look forward to sharing our next guest with you soon. Bye for now. The Finding Unique Value podcast is sponsored by Elliott Asset Management. We help successful entrepreneurs create wealth outside of their business. To discover the five ways successful entrepreneurs become intelligent investors and grow wealth beyond their business, visit ElliottAm.com slash webinar.